beautiful morning when it opens with rain. Just love it. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Really glad to have guests with us this morning. And boy, it's been a great week here, as Ryan has already mentioned. It's really good to have Carl and Kathy and Debbie with us this morning. Uh, are you recovered yet? Yeah, good. Um, the kids' crusade was just fantastic. Uh, man, I tell you what, they, they did such a wonderful job of ministering to our kids. And, and uh, they don't know I'm going to do this, but I want us to pray for them this morning. They do this year-round. Now, I don't know if you can appreciate or if any of us can appreciate that, that huge responsibility of traveling around the country, doing this every month except December and January. Is that true? Every, ten months out of the year. But I, I, want, I want Carl and Kathy and Debbie to come up here. We're just going to pray for you guys. and just We are so grateful to you for all that you invested in us this week. And I know you've been standing for a while, but stand again and just extend a hand toward them. If some of you would like to come up here and lay hands on them and pray for them with me, we can, we can sure do that. Let's, uh, let me get here where I can uh, have access to all of you. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the ministry that emanates from these wonderful people. Lord, they invest their lives in, in young people, and Lord, there's no higher calling than that. And God, I pray that you would bless them abundantly. I pray, Lord, that this would be an unprecedented year of seeing little kids and young people and families brought into your kingdom through their ministry. Lord, I pray that you would prosper them. I pray that you would protect them. I pray, dear Lord, that all of their equipment and all of their, their traveling uh, equipment, Lord, would just uh, perform as it's designed to do with no breakdowns. <laughs> God, I know that they're having to do some repairs on them just now. I just pray that everything would go smoothly and that you would bless them abundantly as never before in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, folks. You bet. Thank you. Bless you. <clears throat> How many of you noticed I'm a little closer to you this morning? I just love getting closer to you folks. Some of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, do you? We moved the pulpit forward. I, I love the stage. It looks a little different this morning. Uh, we're trying to declutter it a little bit. We let Rod out of his cage. Grateful for that. And, and I, I just got to say this. Uh, if we're, truth were known, I absolutely dread holidays and having to preach holiday messages. Uh, for some reason, it almost seems to me like a lost opportunity many times to, to share gospel with somebody. And you never know when somebody's going to be in the service that really needs it may be their last opportunity. But I said all of that to say this. Thank you for all the co nice compliments from last Sunday. It was a, an unusual message uh, for fathers. And, and uh, it, it, it strayed a little bit from where we've been going. And, but I, I really do appreciate it. And for those of you that didn't get to hear it, you might want to dial it up. It's, uh, you'll say, did he really say that? And... Yes, I did. So, uh, <laughs> listen to it, but thank you for the nice, nice compliments. I would also like to share with you that 
On Sunday, July 8th, we're asking that everybody be here, if at all possible, because we are going to have an appreciation potluck dinner for Ryan and Kim uh, and their family. Uh, all that they have invested in this family, church family for many, many years, and we appreciate it. And now uh, God's uh, calling them to who knows what. Uh, but we want to bless them and show our appreciation to them. Uh, just so you'll know the order of things, the church is going to be providing fried chicken. Uh, but we're asking that each family bring your family and two dishes, vegetables, salad, dessert, and even meat. Because if you don't like yard bird, as Brother Selaska calls it, we'll need some other meats here. So uh, come and show them how much we love and appreciate all that they do for our Trinity Faith family. Again, that's July 8th. Uh, immediately following the morning service. Well, hey, we are, we are beginning a new sermon series this morning. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago as we closed our previous sermon series that this new series that we're starting today is probably more of a continuation than a, rather than a completely new series, uh, except it differs in the fact that we talked about earlier in that other sermon series about the importance and the need for the empowerment and equipping of the Holy Spirit upon us to do the work of ministry. Well, it's good that we can talk about that, but there comes a time when we have to get down to the practical nuts and bolts of doing it. And so I have titled this message, or this sermon series actually, with kind of an unusual title called, Can You Only Imagine? Can you only imagine what it would look like for each of us to be empowered, equipped, walking and working in the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Man, it would be unbelievable. Because folks, when we're talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the most powerful force known to man. I think I shared with you some time ago before that stupid little illustration that I thought of years and years ago, and it keeps coming back to my mind every time I talk about being empowered with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Imagine with me in your mind's eye a, a man with a rope pulling the most ultra supersonic technologically advanced aircraft that you can imagine with that rope down a down a a runway and he's struggling pulling it and all of a sudden somebody says to him why don't you just get inside and push the button and many times that's the way we do ministry we make it a struggle When the Holy Spirit of God is so desirous to to equip us and to empower us to do ministry effectively. How many of you would join me in saying a man pulling an aircraft down a runway is not an effective way to do it? He's going to have to pull it pretty fast to get it off the ground, right? Well, push the button. The button is there for us to push and God wants to empower us. So, let's get on with it. Go with me to Mark chapter number 8. Um, this first verse or passage that I'm going to read to you, I'm going to read to you from the message. Everything else will be from the one I normally use, the HCSB. But I wanted to read this first passage of Scripture to you today from the message. Sometimes I like to use that because it kind of takes away 
the mystery of needing to understand. It just kind of puts it out there the way we would talk it if we were talking to one another. Mark chapter number 8, beginning with verse number 30, uh, 31, actually. Jesus began explaining things to them. It's necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering. To be tried and found guilty by the elders, high priests, and religion scholars, be killed, and after three days rise up alive. He said this simply and clearly so that they couldn't miss it. But Peter grabbed him in protest, turning and seeing his disciples wavering, wondering what to believe. Jesus confronted Peter, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? Today in part one of this sermon series, I want us to talk about living God's purpose in our lives. Um, here in Mark 8, to give you a little bit better context from where I started reading, Jesus has just asked a question of his disciples, a question that Simon Peter answered correctly. The question was, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Son of God, the Son of the, or, thou art Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. So Peter has answered the question correctly, only to find himself soon to be humbled by a strong rebuke of what Jesus goes on to say. Because Jesus said, here's the deal, guys. I have to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put to death. And three days later, I'm going to rise. Well, see, what happened was, Peter had a different idea for what his purpose in following Jesus was going to be. And it didn't involve Jesus being killed. And so Peter says, I won't let it happen. And Jesus very strongly rebukes him and even addresses the real source behind Peter's selfishness and his selfish attitude when he says, get behind me, Satan, or Satan, get out of here, get lost. Some time ago, USA Today did a survey asking people this question. If you could ask God any question, what would it be? And the number one response was, what is my life's purpose? Back in 2002, pastor and Christian author Rick Warren wrote a book that has impacted many people around the world. It was called, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, A Purpose-Driven Life. Purpose-Driven Life sold more books than the South Beach Diet, former President Bill Clinton's book, My Life, and the Da Vinci Code combined. 
showing that there's a deep need in the lives of people to know why they were created. How many of you have ever wondered why you were created? Well, at least there's five or six of us that will be interested in what I have to say. Um, each of us, friends, were made with a, with a purpose. God created us with a very specific purpose in mind. The prophet Jeremiah put it this way. He said, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Great passage. You see, God created each of us with a purpose and a plan in mind, and we have been wired to seek out that purpose and to fulfill it. Late pastor Bill Henson, who was a longtime pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas, writes these words, and they're so appropriate. He says, there are two great days in a person's life. The first is the day you were born, And the second is the day you discover what you were born for. So true. Finding the reason for which God created you and then living it out under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I remember a a hot, steamy night back in July 1969. I had just turned 13 years old. And I was seeking God at an altar at Wheat State Campground, which is about 12 miles east of Wichita uh, on Highway 54. I guess it's 400 now. But uh, uh, anyway, I was seeking God at that altar. And it was on that night that God unquestionably laid upon my heart a call into ministry. And I got to tell you, my life has never been the same since that night. Now, I didn't instantly get involved in ministry. As many of you know, I farmed for 16 years before I went into full-time ministry. Uh, But that calling never left. Now, truth be known, I'm sure that when God called me to ministry on that Thursday night, that he was already aware of the fact that my grandma Moody had already called me into ministry. Uh, But he was just confirming it with me. And it was from that evening until today that I have known the reason for which God created me. What about you? How many of you right now are sure of your life's purpose? Oh, come on. There's, Yeah, I see a few of these. But yeah, we know God's purpose. I mean, if, if you're... If you're getting long in the tooth like I am, you know, I mean, it's time you found out. <laughs> and, and so knowing that is, is, is a tremendous thing, and living it out is even better. I'm relatively certain that there are some of us, though, here this morning, who are still trying to clarify what your life purpose is, and my prayer is that this series will help with that. So what do we learn about discovering God's purpose for our life. Well, first of all, and and this supersedes everything else that I'm going to say, we need to start seeing things from God's perspective. 
How many of you know that God's perspective is a lot different than, mo- than ours? We, we need to start seeing things from his perspective. In our scripture text that I read for you, Jesus told his disciples of his coming crucifixion and his subsequent resurrection. And that was so shocking to these disciples to think that Jesus was going to die a humiliating death of, uh, that was a death reserved for the worst of the criminals of that day. And I'm, because of that shock, I'm relatively certain that they didn't even hear the part about Jesus saying he was going to rise three days later. The shock of him saying, I'm going to be killed, was probably the thought that was consuming them. In fact, we know that's true on behalf of Peter because Peter is so distraught with Jesus saying that that he takes Jesus aside and and he says, Jesus, you shouldn't say things like that. I hope none of you have ever told Jesus that. (laughs) Peter said, Jesus, you shouldn't say things like that. And then Jesus says back to Peter very sternly, get away from me, Satan. Now let me just say that there's nothing worse than having Jesus refer to you as an instrument of Satan. Uh, In that moment, you see, here's what the problem was. Peter was looking at what Jesus was saying through the world's eyes. If you're ever going to discover God's purpose for your life, you have to begin to see things from God's perspective, not your point of view. That includes how you look at yourself, by the way. You are a child of God. You are somebody. You matter. You are precious in God's eyes. You've been filled with. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to do even greater things than did Jesus. That's pretty cool. I mean, he did some amazing things, right? But he told his disciples... You will do even greater things than these which I do because I go to the Father and He will send to you the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't care who you are or what you've said or done. It's never going to change how God looks at you. How many of you, that ought to be good news to every one of us. doesn't matter what you've ever said or ever done it's not going to change how God looks at you too often we we live our lives through the guilt and shame of a past and the world will tell us that we're not worthy because of our past what a great day to celebrate communion because our past is gone Jesus made us new he made us all over again And and the new part of us, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. You, You know, Jesus died on the cross so you can be freed from you. Think about that. Freed from you. Freed from all your feelings of guilt, all your feelings of shame, all your feelings of unworthiness. He has made you somebody. 
And that's how he looks at you, and he's got a specific plan and a purpose for you to live out. But even more than that, his grace is so incredible that he can actually redeem the sins of your past and use them for his purposes. Now that's amazing to me. My past includes some things that I'm not real proud of. In fact, I'm so not proud of them, I'm not even going to share them with you. But here's what I've seen God do over the past 25 or 26 years. He's taken some of those things that I feel shame over. And he has now used those things, those very things, to redeem me from them and to use those same things to help other people who are going through the very same things or similar things to those which I have done. Now that's cool. And only God can do that. I, I, I you know... God created you and me with, with a divine purpose in mind, and nothing's going to change that. We are an integral part of the plan of God for redemption and salvation of the world. Did you know that? Every one of you here are an integral part of God's plan. Now, I said all that to say this. We have to stop looking at ourselves. I have to start, stop looking at ourselves through the world's eyes and start looking at ourselves through God's eyes. Secondly, to find life, God's purpose, you have to have the right motives. To discover God's purpose for your life, pray to God to reveal to you what he made you for. Because I can promise you, you're going to want to live it once you find it out. Now, saying that, i got to tell you this. That is a dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> Not only can it radically change your life, but that's when you become, begin to become a world changer. But you have to have the right motivation. Peter disagreed with Jesus dying on the cross because he didn't want to lose Jesus and everything that he thought came along with Jesus. He didn't want to give that up. And who could blame him? He wanted the entire nation to proclaim Jesus as their, their king and, and to set them free from the Roman oppression that they'd been under. But when Jesus reprimanded Peter, he's saying to him, Peter, if you keep approaching your life from, from the motive of self-interest rather than looking at your life from the motives of God, you're never going to fulfill the purpose for which I created you. In other words... As long as Peter's life was focused on his wants, his ambitions, his goals, his security, his comfort, he was never going to discover God's purpose for his life or experience the joy of living in it. And friends, the same thing is true for us. Jesus went on to say that, that we will find our life by losing it in the work of God. The only way you're going to find your life and the abundant life purpose that God has created you for is not to use God for your purposes or your, your fulfill, let me try that again, or your fulfillment, but to lose your life in the work of God. There have been multiple occasions where Jesus pointed out that he was here to do one thing, to do the work of his Father who sent him. 
Now we need to understand, here's part of God's perspective. We need to understand God sent Jesus for the purpose of dying for you and I. Overcoming death by rising from the dead. That was God's whole plan, and he had that plan from before the foundations of the world were laid. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 4, verse number 34. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's where we find abundant life. That's where you find life, and that more abundantly. When our, when our very sustenance is to every day live out the will of God who created us and to finish his work in whatever time we have left here on earth. What is that work? You remember last sermon series? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. You will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. That's the work. Again and again, Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. He's talking to his Father. God created us for a specific purpose every day every day jesus was aligning his life purpose to what god was doing in the world now here's what i mean by that jesus did not ask god to put his blessing on what jesus wanted to do in the world you know how i know that because in the garden of gethsemane jesus prayed if there be any way let this cup of death Pass from me. That's the human Jesus. He felt that just like we would. Let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, not what I want. But what you want, Father. Here's why I stress that. In the world today, we've got that backwards. We often think, and we on occasion may even ask God to bless, to promote, to provide, and to protect our self-interests when we are here to promote his interests, his works, that he's already blessed. Do you, do you get that? Uh, it, it's much more advisable to get involved in what God's blessing rather than asking God to bless what you're doing. I'll just let you chew on that one for a while. Uh, you see, it's got to be about God. It can't be about us. Thirdly, it's about the journey, not the destination. In our text, Jesus tells his disciples what his journey is going to look like. He's going to go to Jerusalem. There he's going to be arrested. There he's going to be tried at an unfair trial. There he's going to be condemned to death. He's going to be put to death on a cross. That's his journey. Too often, folks, we have the end in mind when reality, when in reality, God is more concerned about the journey along the way. I don't know how many of you have ever read any of the works of Oswald Chambers. Uh, wow, it'll, it'll, it'll change your life. But I've I, I got to share this quote with you. Uh, from my utmost for his highest. Here's what he says, and I quote, 
We tend to think that if Jesus Christ compels us to do something and we are obedient to him, that God is leading us toward a particular end or a desired goal, but he is not. The question of whether or not we arrive at a particular goal is of little importance and reaching it becomes merely an episode along the way. What we see is only the process of reaching a particular end God sees as the goal itself. What is my vision of God's purpose for me, he asks. Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and on his power now. If I can stay calm, faithful, and unconfused. (laughs) While in the middle of the turmoil of life, the goal of the purpose of God is being accomplished in me. God, he says, is not working toward a particular finish. His purpose is the process itself. What he desires for me is that I see him with no success, no goal in sight, but simply having the absolute certainty that everything is all right because I see him. It is the process, not the outcome, that is glorifying to God. I couldn't have said it better myself. Wow, what a statement. But let me move on. Fourthly, in finding your life's purpose, you have to be willing to accept the cost. There is a cost to living the abundance of God's purpose in your life. Jesus said in that 34th verse of Mark chapter number 8, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Here's what I get from that. If you want to be safe, if you want to be comfortable, if you want to avoid risks and dangers, you're going to lose your life. Because at the end of your life, you can have a big bank account and you can have a lot of stuff. But you're going to have nothing of eternal value. If you're willing to pay the price. If you're willing to pay the cost and lose your life for Jesus' sake. What an abundance you're going to find. Again, a quote. Mike Slaughter, author of The Passionate Church, tells the story of going to Darfur, Africa to minister to refugees. And he says this. It was the first time in my life I knew I was going into a situation with a probability that I could die. A situation that was utterly dangerous. There were people with guns. We would be a thousand miles or more from a semi-safe haven. I'm 54 years old and I thought to myself, I really believe this Jesus thing. Never in my life was I forced to say in following Jesus, I'm putting myself in a position where I might die. Before I left, I organized some things. I put some some items around my motorcycle that my son would find so that he could know about the motorcycle if I didn't come home. I headed off saying to Jesus, if my life will bring greater fruit for your purpose in the world, here I am. And then he writes, there is nothing more transformational than when you come to that place where you say to Jesus, if it means my life for the sake of your work in the world, take it, God, for your purposes. You're free at that place. And not only are you free, you have come to a place of abundant adventure. 
Well, I'm not sure I'd consider that an adventure. Which brings me to this. I'm glad that my life's purpose is not a carbon copy of other people's life purpose. I'm glad that he gave me a unique purpose for my life. You see, when I stand before him, I'm not going to be judged about how well I did living out someone else's purpose. He's going to say, Terry, this is the reason I created you. How'd you do with that? And hopefully, the last thing he'll say is, well done. Well done. Do you want to hear the well done? Amen. Well, fifthly, finding your life's purpose, expect opposition. For Jesus, the opposition in our scripture this morning came from his most bold and his most committed disciple. Imagine that. Opposition from the one who has your back. Here's the thing about opposition, though. It's not a matter of if it's going to come. It's a matter of when and from whom. What this text is saying today is that sometimes opposition will even come from within the church. Really? Sometimes it'll come from among the followers of Jesus. Oh, other times it's from the world. We understand that. We expect that. But sometimes it comes from the church. Sometimes it comes from people who are followers of Jesus. Well, rather than getting all caught up in that, let me just say this. Regardless of where it comes from, expect it. It's going to come. And sometimes it's going to come sooner rather than later. After Jesus was baptized, what happened? I mean, Jesus is baptized and, and basically uh, uh, sent into ministry by John the Baptist, right? But what happened immediately after? He was sent by the Spirit immediately into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, in allowing that, Jesus was setting aside his own agenda for the purpose of of the Father. He had committed his life, whatever it took, to do his heavenly Father's work. And immediately Satan begins to thinking, how do I defeat this? How do I stop this before it gets started? How, how do I nip this in the bud before it gets a, uh, any momentum? Did you know that the most dangerous people on earth are those who take no thought for their own well-being, but only care about the work of the Father? Let me say that again. The most dangerous people on earth are those who take no thought for their own well-being but only care about the work of the Father. You know why they're dangerous? Because they're living out God's purpose. They're, they're making it a daily part of who they are. Satan will say, I, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tempt Jesus and I, I'm going I'm to tempt him by... It's tempting him to take care of it, things himself. The three temptations, by the way, of Jesus dealt with personal appetite, position, and possession. 
we'll always be tempted to take care of ourselves first. If I am living God's purpose in my life, I have one responsibility, and that is to seek God's purpose and then to trust His provision. Amen? Now, sixthly, you have to get off the bench and get into the game. You have to get off the bench, the chair, the pew, whatever, and get into the game. Have any of you ever thought about this question? What is one thing, what is one thing in the world that you would be willing to die for? Have you ever thought about that? What's one thing? Back in the 1930s, there were hundreds of people who sat by and who let the Nazis try to extinguish the Jewish race. And many people, including some in our own government, at least initially, said, let's not get involved. Let it work itself out. Back in 1964, Kitty Genovese was stabbed to death in Queens, New York, while 38 witnesses to the crime did nothing to save her. In the African nation of Rwanda, in 1994, the Hutu majority killed between 500,000 and 1 million Tutsis in a period of 100 days. Hutu friends, neighbors, and co-workers of the Tutsi just stood by and watched and did nothing. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do when you find that thing in life that you're willing to die for and then live for it? Give your life for it if need be. What one cause, what, what people group gets you more excited about the opportunity to minister than anything else? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit can show you that cause, can show you those people might be volunteering at a school. It might be mentoring kids in your neighborhood. It might be addressing the needs of single parents. It might be waging a war on poverty. It might be ministering, as several in our congregation do, to victims of, of abuse, domestic violence, whatever you want to call it. Friends, it's not about you. It's not about making your life more comfortable. There's always that temptation, though, when God calls you. Can I just take a, a real short rabbit trail for just a second? If, if it was about making my life more comfortable, there are other careers I could have pursued other than ministry. I could have worked harder at becoming the professional baseball player that I always wanted to be. Who knows, had I done that, maybe if I'd worked hard enough and got good enough, maybe I'd be signing one of those multi-million dollar contracts that they're paying these days. Sure beats ministry. When you, by, step, by faith, step out into God's calling and you're willing to lose your life, God can do amazing things. But here's the reason I'm telling you that. 
And here's the reason I'm going down that rabbit trail. There is a danger to that. There is a danger. You see, when I first got started in ministry, I wanted to touch the world. What I should have wanted was to touch heaven first. When I started in ministry, I had more desire to build my kingdom than his. When I first got started in ministry, I had more hunger to be seen than humility to hide. When I first got started, I had more passion than I had purity. When I first got started, I had more potential than I did prayer life. Now you just think about those things for a second. Think about that. God had to walk me past being relevant into resignation or resigning myself to what he wanted to bring forth true resurrection in his likeness and not the image that many in ministry seek today. What I'm saying, friends, is that when you begin to grow in your calling and even living out your purpose, you have to first walk through a season of death of your dreams in order to be exposed to a God-sized vision. Now let me add the scripture to prove what I just said to you is true. Galatians chapter number 2, verses 19 and 20, except I'm going to do verse number 20 first. There the apostle Paul said it this way, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. Now go back to verse number 19. How did that happen? Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. So what I'm saying to you, friends, is that if you are on your way to the hardware store to build your church, grab an extra hammer and some nails because you're going to have to put you to death before you can accomplish the purpose for which God created you. The death of your personal agenda And when you put to death your personal agenda, I can guarantee you God is going to be your loudest cheerleader. He will. There will be this miraculous, exponential multiplication of life energy in you. The Holy Spirit will will equip and empower you to do greater works than even those that Jesus did. Your life will take on new meaning, new purpose. You'll become a world changer. Your life will be more fulfilling. It'll be more filled with joy. And it's amazing what God will do, friends, when you say, here I am. Here I am, God. All I want to do is to fulfill the reason, the work that you've given me on planet Earth. But here's the good news. If you right now, today, are in the midst of being crucified with Christ just hold on Sunday's coming Sunday's coming and the hard part will be over when you've surrendered yourself to Jesus and to his plans and to his purposes perhaps you're wondering okay Terry you said be a world changer how in the world have you become a world changer Terry well 
Let me first say this. Once upon a time, there was an old man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of walking on the beach every morning before he began his work. And early one morning, he was walking along the shore after a big storm had passed. And he found the vast beach littered with starfish as far as the eye could see. Stretching in both directions. And off in the distance, the old man noticed a small boy approaching. As the boy walked, he would pause every so often and and bend down and, and pick up an object and throw it into the sea. As the boy got closer and closer, the man called out to him. He said, good morning. May I ask what you're doing? And the young man, the young boy, paused, looked up and replied, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up onto the beach and they can't return to the sea by themselves. The youth then replied, when the sun gets high, the starfish will die unless I throw them back into the water. The old man replied, son, there's got to be tens of thousands of starfish on this beach. I'm afraid you're not really going to make too much of a difference. With that, the boy bent down, picked up yet another starfish and threw it as far as he could into the ocean. And then he turned and smiled at the man and he said, I made a difference to that one. You know, now 26 years as a senior pastor, 12 years prior to that as a youth pastor, I would like to think that somewhere along the way, something that I've said or something that I've done perhaps has changed someone's world for the better. Uh, When I say for the better, I'm talking about for eternity. You see, I may not have changed the whole world, but I think I've been a part of changing someone's world. Uh, What I'm telling you, you this morning is that the same thing is true for each and every one of us. You may not change the entire world, but you can change someone's world entirely making yourself available. The Holy Spirit of God will miraculously, supernaturally, multiply your life energy to accomplish the purposes for which God created you. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 12, verse number 24. He said, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies... It produces a large crop. Worship team, would you come please? Can you only imagine what it would be like if every one of us would just change one person's world entirely and to give to that one person a future and a hope for eternal life with Jesus once this life is over? Can you only imagine that person then Changing just one other person's life. Giving them a future and hope for eternal life with Jesus once their life is over. And then another person and another person and another person. Can you only imagine standing before Jesus? The head of a line of people whose world was changed entirely 
as the result of you fulfilling God's purpose of reaching them, giving them a future and a hope for the eternal life with Jesus that each of you now are getting ready to experience. Can you imagine looking back at that line and seeing those testimonies of grace that came about because you were obedient to what God called you to do? You see, friends, when we come together to discover our life purpose, that's where the miraculous multiplication of life energy empowered by the Holy Spirit of God takes place. And I got to tell you, if you can experience that, it'll be the best thing you've ever experienced. It will. Do you need a review? First, seek God's purpose with God's perspective. Have the right motives. Get off the bench. Get into the game. And recognize that you, you, you can change and impact your own little world. Nothing like the present to get that started. Nothing like today. God sees your heart and in your spirit you're saying yes. If in your spirit you're saying yes to Jesus I want you to just stand to your feet. You're saying God here I am. Come on. Stand to your feet every one of you. Feels God can do something through you and with you if you'll avail yourself to him. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to just quietly and in your own way say to Jesus, Lord, here I am. Whatever it takes, wherever you call, wherever you want me to go, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I say, yes. Use me. Use me, Jesus. Lord Jesus, today, I'll be the first in this room to say, Lord, recommit me to your service, whatever that might be. Lord, use me for your glory. It's not about me. It's not about what I prefer. It's not about anything other than your purpose and your plan. Use me for your glory, Jesus. Now, friends, in order to do that, here's the prerequisite. You have to have more love for people. Yeah, you've got, you're required to love people you don't even like. But you've got to have a real love for people. And most importantly, you have to have more power because you can't do it in your strength. The worship team's going to lead us as we cry out to God for that.